All right, we're in our year of yes. And um, this year of yes, yes is a good word. Say yes. yes. I know, right? It's a great word because uh, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And so God brings his yes, says, here's my promises. And so we bring our yes and we say, okay, God, let's, let's do this. Here's our amen. Here's what we want to do in response to you. And uh, so we're doing the year of yes, but then we have this sub-series that we're in right now about hope. I started that sermon or that series last week. If you weren't here to hear that, it would be probably a good one for you to get on iTunes or uh, on our website on the video and watch that and just sort of get going with where it is that we're headed with our hope series. But let me give you a definition of hope that sort of came out of last week's series. And it's, it, uh, it's not a, an easy definition, but I want you to be able to see it. Here's the definition of hope. Hope is a life lived with increase, sorry, a life lived in increasingly confident expectation that God's promises are true and that he'll act in our lives and in our world. It's life, a life lived on this premise, increasingly confidently expecting that God's going to show up. That's what hope is. God's going to show up in our life and in our world. He's going to show up today. He's going to show up in this season. He's going to show up in some years from now. And, and, and in some ways, he's going to show up. The only way we, we're going to see him act in some ways is that he's going to show up at the very end when all things will be made new and restored. When the kingdom of heaven comes in its fullness. But we believe that God will show up. That's the hope that we live in. We live in hope for today. We live in hope in this season. We live in hope for eternity. So hope is a life lived in this Increasingly confident expectation that God's going to work in our lives, that God's going to be at work in the world. So we said, hope changes everything. That was part of the, that's part of this theme. Hope changes everything, because if we believe this, if we believe in God's promises, and if we live our life like God's promises can come true, it changes the way that we live. And we cannot, therefore, afford to lose hope. This is all review from last week, but I want you to hear it. We cannot afford to lose hope because our yes is at stake. There's too much at stake for us to lose hope. Our yes, our God, yes, your promises are true. Yes, God will step into that. We'll live a life worthy of those promises. We'll live a life in obedience to those promises. We'll live a life expecting that you're going to come. You're going to show up. We're going to live a life of blessing if those promises are true. That was the week that we made that banner. Did you see the banner on the sound booth that's back there? This is, yes, God, let me be a blessing too. And that's our heart, our ministry, our calling. There's family members' names, there's neighborhoods, there's schools, there's groups, there's companies, there's cities. This is where we want to be. This is our yes, God. And if we lose hope, our yes is at stake. And so we said, here's hope, living like this. We cannot afford to lose hope because our yes is at stake. So we're going to talk, therefore, about raising our hope for the next seven weeks. We can't afford to lose it, so we got to raise it. And that's the middle chapters of that book that Ray Ray wrote. He's got seven chapters about raising hope, and we're going to preach through those themes. How do I raise my hope because my yes is at stake? How do I live in this confident expectation that God is going to work because that changes everything? Well, my title this morning is the first one. It's not Ray's title. Ray talks about some great things. I'm going to talk about some aspects of it. But my title this morning is that hope is raised or hope grows from a really good nap. (laughs) Amen in the house? Yeah, man. 
Hope grows from a really good nap because the, the, it is a, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but what I really want to talk about this morning is that we, friends, are a tired and stressed people. We're weary and we're burdened. Just tired. And living weary and burdened, living tired and stressed has an impact on our lives. It has all kinds of impact, including the reality, and this is our main point, right? Including our reality that tired people, stressed out people, frenetic people, burned out people, distracted, uh, uh, exhausted people are distracted and therefore discouraged to, into living into the promises of God. They're discouraged by that and so they lose hope. Exhaust, frenetic Weary people lose hope, and we cannot afford to lose hope. So we have to raise our hope through God-given rest. Hope grows out of a really good nap. Hope grows out of a soul rest, out of a a God rest. I want to look at the text this morning. It's Matthew chapter 11, and it's a familiar set of verses that Jesus says. I know that because it's in red in my Bible. Do you have red still in your Bibles, any of you? Jesus' words in red. That's an old tradition. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all you who are tired and stressed, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the word of the Lord. Raising hope through le- yes, this uh, rest. That's what we want to talk about. Raising hope through rest. Our hope grows, friends, when we come to him to find rest for our souls. Rest is a part of a yes. It's part of our yes. Rest feels like it's passive, doesn't it? It feels like maybe it's like there's more no's involved in rest than there are yeses. And that might be true. But it feels sort of passive. It doesn't feel like it's a yes, it's a let's go. But it is. The text is going to tell us and talks about the fact that, that this isn't passive. It's that we pursue rest, that we come to him, that we come and get some work done spiritually. So it's actually part of our obedience, part of our yes, part of our response to God to connect with him to get some soul rest. That's how our hope's going to grow. Well, here's some yeses with regard to this idea of our hope growing through rest. One, yes, you weary ones can slow down to hear God. The text says that come to me all who are weary. Friends, all of us at some time or another are weary, tired, and exhausted. Doesn't that characterize you? Yeah. We just, some of us are just done, man. Come to me, all who are weary. And all of us can recognize that. And we can slow down. In fact, we must slow down because we are so tired. And I have to say that I use the words in there. Yes, you can slow down because most of us go, I don't know how to get off this treadmill. I don't know how to get off this deal. I don't think there's any way possible that this can happen. And so we live these lives of perpetual weariness, of exhaustion, But the text says that we have to come to him to receive rest. Now, we're not just talking about coming to him to receive physical rest. That's not what Jesus is talking about primarily. 
But don't miss that one because that's true, isn't it? If we are weary people and weary, frenetic, exhausted people are distracted and lose hope, we can't do that. We can't live that way. Plus, who of you love living exhausted and crazy and running around, tired, empty? None of us. We have to have some physical rest. That absolutely has to be part of the equation. And for some of you, that may be the only, we're going to get into a bunch of spiritual stuff, that may be the only thing you need to hear this morning in this sermon, is that if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're worn out, you're losing hope and you have to get some rest. Your yes is at stake. Your yes to your families, your yes to your company, your yes to your your health, your yes to your spiritual journey, your yes to obedience to God, it's all at stake and you have to get some rest. You have to get some physical rest. In fact, I did some research on, some, on, on our sleep patterns in America, and then I got down the rabbit hole of the internet looking at all the studies. You ever done that? You ever been down the rabbit hole on the internet? What? It's four in the morning? No. <laughs> and I was amazed what I found out about sleeping patterns, sleeping habits, how much people sleep they think they need, and then how much they actually need. And we actually have this culture where most people are like, well, I need like four or five hours of sleep. No, you don't. No, there's one in 50 million people need four or five hours of sleep, and they're freaks, and you don't know them. It's not you. You need to go to bed. And I really got down the line of the teenage thing, you know, the teenager thing. You read some of that, right? They're talking about why are schools starting at 7 o'clock in the morning or 7.30 or even 8 o'clock in the morning when their circadian rhythm is all off and how teenagers need, ready? Teenagers need between 9 and 10 hours of sleep. Have you ever met a teenager that except for on a Saturday when they didn't have, you know, their traveling baseball team to go to on a tournament and they had to get up at 4 in the morning to drive to Chico? Like, other than that... Have you ever seen a teenager who slept 10 hours a night? It's never happened. We have a whole generation of our kids who are running around exhausted. And they were even saying, you know that, um, that reputation that teenagers have for when they get into puberty, their mood swings are all over the place, and you're like, oh, I have this delightful child. And then they're like, Rawr! and you're like, oh, what happened? And there's these mood swings that go all over the place, and we go, well, that's being a teenager. You know what they're saying now? No, it's not. That's being an exhausted teenager. Isn't that wild? They're saying those symptoms are coming from sleep deprivation. So somehow we've built into our world this life. And Jesus goes, you're weary. and burdened. You're tired. You come to me and you get some rest. And we, gotta, we, can't, we can't just eliminate first and foremost that idea of physical rest as part of that. Where did we get so self-important that we can't sleep some more? and be at our best for God. Come on, will that preach to you? Is that something some of you need to hear? Let's go to sleep right now. Let's just dim the lights and everybody just... Not you, Ray. I know you're already asleep. That's not cool, man. Preaching right now. But it isn't just physical rest that we're talking about, this coming to him and finding rest. Jesus says you'll find rest for your what? Do you remember in the text? Your soul's. You come to him, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. So we actually come to him, we rest, we slow down, and we come to him, and then we receive deep rest, true rest. And then this is how hope enters into this, because here's, follow my logic, here's what happens. We come to him, and we engage with God, and we engage with his spirit, and we put ourselves in his presence, and we slow down, and we put ourselves in his presence, 
And now we're with him and his spirit and his heart and his plan and his word and we're reflecting on all this truth. We commune with him and friends, the spirit of God ministers to us and gives our souls rest. It's a real outcome of a real encounter with a real God. And we are weary and burdened. And he says, you come and I'm going to give you rest for your soul. Now follow this, keep, keep with me. And so as he ministers to us, we get aimed by him. We get grounded. We get oriented. And in his presence, we have this peace about what it is we do and what it is we do not do. And we get that peace from the presence of God. And so we have hope that right where we are, the things that we've committed to and the things that we do and the things that we do not do are right in the center of God's will and therefore God's blessing. And I need nothing else in my life. The hope is I got the life that God wants me to have. And he's going to show up. I don't have to go, do I, do I need to do that? Should I be doing this? Should I add that? Should I brat? We don't have to do that because we have this peace that we're at the center of God's will. And in that, that, that grows our hope that I, I don't need any more than this right now. My yeses are my yeses because God has led me to them. My noes are my noes because God has led me to them. And I'm right in the center of God's will and God's blessing. So bring it, God. This is the life you have for me. That is an incredible blessing of freedom. There's freedom, there's peace, there's rest. This is the spiritual rest that Jesus is offering, knowing that what we're about is from him, and we don't have to do anything more than that. We were, Linda and I were talking about this idea of, man, how else, how else would we sort out all of the opportunities that come our way for our time and our energy and our attention and our resources? How else are we going to do that if we don't come to God and find rest for our souls and have him aim us and our souls at peace go, this is what I'm about. This is my yes here, my yes there, and my yes there. And anything more than that becomes disobedience. It becomes exhaustion. It becomes, it becomes mania. This is what God asked for. How else do we sort that stuff out? We were talking about when we were raising kids and having four kids and you pile one kid on top of the other and all of a sudden it gets a little overwhelming. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, I have two kids. I know how overwhelming it is. You're like, I have one kid. Some of you, and I know this all the time, people go, we don't have any kids and we're so tired. We, we don't understand how you did it. Yes, we just fill our lives. How do we get oriented? I mean, how, what do we do with all of that stuff? And how do we say yes? And what do we know what to do with it? What we usually do, this is our regular method, is we just go and pile stuff on you. We get your first kid, and then you get into tumbling class, and that's super cute. And then you get into the little, little baby soccer team, and then you get into you know, the next thing the kid's got, and then you got homework, and then you got this. And then you got to pile another kid on there, and now you got two kids going different directions. And then you're like, they should probably learn to play a musical instrument. So then you get piano lessons in the deal. And then you do the thing, and you're like, oh, you know what? China's the next emerging market. I'm gonna start teaching my kid Chinese. And so then you put them in Chinese class, and then you have another kid, and then all of a sudden you have this out-of-control life where you're not aimed by soul at rest. You're like, uh, opportunity, this is good, that's a tin, this is, I have a fear here, I better address that, and we get nuts. And so our method is we just go till our calendar's full, which means our calendar's way over full. And this isn't about kids, is it? Some of you go, this is my, that's my life. 
This opportunity, that opportunity, that opportunity, that hobby, that thing, that study, that new co- We fill our lives until our calendars are full, which means they're over full because there's no margin because all you do, go down one good case of diarrhea and you're blown, right? What do you do now? You no margins. We go to our calendars are full or we go and just do what everybody else does and that is the pattern we live by. Well, everybody else is doing this. We had a mom recently said to us, okay, so I got this kid, he's four. Everybody's signing up for soccer. I guess that's what we do. We're like, what do you mean that's what you do? Do you want your child to play soccer? Like stop and think about it for a minute. Well, I guess I need a master's degree. Do you? Jesus says, you come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you soul rest. And that soul rest, friends, will aim us to our yeses. And then we live in the peace and the hope that that's the life God has given me, no matter what everybody else is doing, no matter how many instruments my kids can play. We make those decisions by the leading, the power, the peace, and the rest of God himself. And then that is our life. You hear the freedom in that? That grows our hope. The opposite makes us distracted and discouraged and exhausted, and we're not hopeful. If weary applies to you, I have two questions for you. One, do you need to come to him? I said last week or the week before in my sermon, when was the last time you asked Jesus' opinion about anything in your life? Oh, I I say that out of sadness for my life. It sounded like I just rebuked all of you. I I say that out of sadness. We just run like crazy into what we think is the best way to live. When was the last time we stopped and just said, Jesus, is this a yes? Are you aiming me at this? Is this a commitment? Is this what I'm about? If weary applies to you, do you just need to put in your life that you come to him and let him aim you? Second question about if weary applies to you, are you convinced that your commitments, your choices, your pace, your calendar are what God has for you? Have you asked him? Has God said, lay out your calendar? Yes, that, and that, and that, and that, yes. That is the life I have for you. Are you convinced of that in your life? If not, you come to him and get aimed. We have friends who, uh, well, Atkinson's, you guys are in here. These guys used to once a year go away on a, on a, on a, a planning trip, right? They'd plan the year. And part of what they do is they'd spread out their calendar and they're fine. They do budget and they would do uh, like, okay, where are we going to go this year and how are we going to pay for that and what are our choices going to be and what activities are we going to commit to and what groups are we going to be a part of and what are, let's lay out all of our kids' stuff and the scouts and wrestling. And what are we going to do? And then they, they, they would fight the first half of the weekend, right? And then they would figure it all out and then they would rest the rest of the time because it would lead them into a year of, hey, Lord, here it all is. Are we convinced that this is what he has for us and that this is what he has for us and this is what he has for us? You guys, our yeses have to be made in the presence of that soul rest that Jesus gives. So I'm asking the question, if weary applies to you, do you need to come to him and do you need to be convinced? Are you convinced? Have you asked him that your choices and pace and commitments are what God has for you? Because if you have stuff in your life that you are not convinced that God has it for you, 
then that's sin. You're saying yes to stuff that God should not, you should, God has said don't, you, you shouldn't be a part of that. You shouldn't have that in your life. And, and, and part of the guess that maybe that's true is that you feel weary. Now there's seasons of weary where you're weary for a short season and it's hard work and God sustains you and gives you the grace to get through weary. But friends, it's not like a whole childhood of your kids' lives. It's not like a whole, well, I'm going to retire maybe at 70. So you know what? 35 years, I'm going to get some rest. It's not like, well, you know, this job that I've been in for the last 10 years, I'm just getting it through. No. If you're weary, maybe you need to come to him and find rest for your souls and let your yeses be guided by the Holy Spirit. With me on that? So, yes, you weary ones can slow down to hear God, and that's where hope will grow because you've heard that God said, this is your life. This is what I have for you. Second, you burdened ones can stop arranging life so that you can see God at work. Arranging life. I didn't know what kind of word to use here, but we're always managing, we're controlling, we're arranging, we're minimizing our risk, we're maximizing our opportunities, we're winning friends and influencing people. I mean, we're always at it to make our life work and work the best. That's what we do all the time. It's exhausting. God's people can stop this incessant managing of all of the details and protecting of all of the risks and and maximizing every single one of the opportunities, God's people can resist that incessant activity, that mania, and be present in soul rest to God about what he wants us to do. We carry the weight of making our life work best, and that is his job. We're spinning plates, right? You know that metaphor? Spinning plates, you know what a plate spinner is? All of you under 40 are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Go Google that. So we're spinning plates. It's a guy, it's like a carnival guy who would have on a pole, he would have all kinds of plates. He'd spin the plates on the top and he would keep them spinning. He would run down the thing and he would have these plates spinning all the way down the stage and they'd be like, and then this one would be starting to wobble and it would about to fall off. And he would run down the stage and he'd get that one going a little further and he'd come over and he'd keep this plate spinning. And of course, you're all watching like, no, that one's going to fall off, right? We keep our plates spinning all the time and we're so stressed. It feels so busy, but it's also this weight of stress because there's this reality that we have dropped all these plates. There's broken glass all over the floor. Like this is a picture of our life. We're like, ah, but there's already glass all over the floor. We live in this fear that more of them are going to drop and they're going to crash all over the floor. And we live in the fear that somebody watching is going to get a clue that maybe I'm out of control and I can't keep all my plates going perfectly. We live in the fear of that. So what a tremendous amount of stress we put on our lives. You burdened ones, you stressed ones can stop arranging and come and recognize that God is at work. This is a rest piece. This is a... um, this, this kind of a stress of, ah, 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 stuff is dropping, stuff may drop, and people can see stuff dropping... That's a big one. It's taken a tremendous toll on us. Because we don't come to the Lord to hear, have him aim us. We do what people's expectations are. We try to avoid the next crisis. We try to sweep stuff up so that it doesn't get in our way or anybody can see what a mess we are. And so we live this amazing, under this heavy burden of stress. In fact, right now, three, they're saying that three out of four doctor visits are for stress-related ailments. 
Three out of four doctor visits in America today are for stress-related ailments. We're a mess, you guys. And so we end up acting out as a way to relieve or reduce our stress. We end up acting out. We get into this, and not the least of which of acting out is they, here's a statistic, 40% of people eat in response to their stress. Yeah, anybody resonate with that? I don't know if you knew that or not. So what happens is we get into this escape mode. We get into this place where instead of listening, instead of resting and then responding to the Lord, saying yes to him, instead of resting, soul rest in Jesus and then responding to the Lord, we're driven out of our fears, out of our reputations, out of our existential angst. We're driven and then we escape. Not rest and response and life for the Lord, but drivenness and escape. That is not functioning, friends. That is not a functional, that is not living in freedom and strength. That, that is a, a life of distraction and discouragement, this escape is. And so a lot of us are feeling like the stress of life has us almost to the breaking point. We just are barely hanging on. So yes, burdened ones, we can come to him and we can rest and we can stop arranging and managing life and we can be reflective with Jesus. Why? Reminded that he is at work. We stop working to reinforce that he is at work. We stop managing every detail to reinforce that he is managing our details. We stop um, controlling everything that goes on in our life to reinforce and remind ourselves that he's the one that's in control, a sovereign God is over our life. We, we stop um, uh, living out all of our what-ifs because we recognize that we have a God who loves us and is in charge of the universe. So we do things like if you're a person in sales and you realize every single minute I'm on the phone means more money and every minute I'm away from the phone potentially means less money, we have to stop and go for a walk and get our heads straight about who is the Lord of our finances. We're a student and we go, man, I'm stressed out about finals. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I had with four kids, how many times I had the conversation. If you just get some sleep, you'll do better on the test than staying up all night. Go rest. Go meet with the Lord. Go restore your heart and your soul. Linda and I, every time we, we have the big financial thing where we do all of our finances and we'd redo our budget and realized how we weren't making it anymore and we have that tense moment and those fights, we go out to Mi Pueblo. We go out to dinner. And the, the opposite of what this stressful moment just told us. We're not going to manage. We're not going to arrange. We're not going to freak out. We're going to go be with Jesus and trust him. This is Sabbath rest, friends. That's what Sabbath is. This is Sabbath rest. That's what the Sabbath is all about. This is what, why the Sabbath was put into the Jewish law. It was instituted for this reason because God said to his people, hey, my people, you need a full day of rest to stop all of your activity and remember that I'm at work. You need to stop what you're doing. Stop it. Because what impact are you making? Your little thing, what, really, stop your work 
And remember, my work. I'm at work. Be at rest. So he did this Sabbath thing where he said one out of seven days. One out of seven, it's not like these guys were working 40-hour work weeks. I mean, these are people who are cultivating the land, often through drought, often through famine, who are always on the edge of life and, and, and sustaining themselves. And God goes one day a week, take an entire day and stop it. Do the discipline of Sabbath so that you can say, right, I'm reminded today because I'm freaking out that I should be doing some work. I'm reminded today that God is at work. That's what Sabbath is about. And here's the great news. Hebrews teaches us, the book of Hebrews teaches us that there is a Sabbath rest available for everyone in Christ all the time. We actually live our lives in this peace and this rest that I don't do anything. I rest in God's work. And then I come and respond to him in faith and obedience. But he's the one that's done all the work. And we live constantly in this, I don't manage, I don't control, I'm not in charge, I don't have to live into all my fears. God does his work. I just live in faith and obedience to it. It's beautiful. In fact, if you think about the way the Hebrews thought about the day, every day was like that for him. Do you know when the Hebrew day begins? Sunset. The Hebrew day begins at sunset. God said, here's how the day is going to work. You go sleep. And I will be up all night doing my work, initiating, leading, preparing, providing. And then when you get up in the morning, you join me for the balance of the day in what I've already begun, and I'll lead you into that work. And it will be fruitful because I already did it all night while you were asleep. And then the day ends, and the new day will start, and he's like, you did enough for one human. Go to sleep. I'm at work. That's Sabbath. And Sabbath rest is where real trust in God happens. Because we are faced with, can I stop and recognize that God has been at work? Can I, stop? Can I trust him is what it comes down to. Because we live with these fears, friends. We live with the fear that if I trust him, if I stop my managing, if I stop my living in my, if I stop all that stuff, we live with the fear that God won't take care of us. And that's where the rubber meets the road. But hope never grows if we never put ourselves in a place of trusting him. And a Sabbath rest, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. If we can put ourselves in that place spiritually, we release from some of this stuff. And he starts to bring life and fulfill his promises and show up and our kids are healthy and happy and we do find that our yeses are fulfilling and we aren't weary and burdened. And when we give ourselves to God and he comes through, it just strengthens our hope that that's the way to live. And so Jesus said in another place, so I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't reap or st stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire and burned, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For those that don't know God run after all these things. That's not you. but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and I'll add his soul rest, and all these things will be given to you. I got it, God says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. You rest then you take my yoke on you. It's easy, it's well-fitting, and it's light. You can carry it. And that freedom and joy becomes the life that God has for you. And by the way, it becomes so attractive, the world will be dying to know what gives soul rest like that. Our yes is at stake. Nobody cares to know your God, to get to know your Jesus, to follow your way of life if you're out of control and not at peace and not at rest. You're not attractive. Our blessing, the world, depends that we get our soul in place where he can give us deep rest and guidance.